0: This is The Guardian.
1: I'm Noor Haidar, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is the full story. This week, for the first time, the gender pay gaps at thousands of Australia's largest employers were made public.
2: You know, there is a substantial problem in this country when you've got essentially two thirds of businesses with a gender pay gap in favour
1: of men. And the data paints a stark picture, with some of the country's most recognisable companies having pay gaps of 30 to 40 per cent in favour of male employees. The government says public accountability is an important first step towards pay equality. But is it enough to force change? And which companies have the most work to do? Today, closing the gender pay gap in Australia. It's Wednesday the 28th of February. So Kate, for the first time, the individual gender pay gap at thousands of Australian companies has been made public. Before we start to zero in on that data, what is the big national picture? The big picture is that Australia has a median pay gap
2: of 19% in favour of men. Kate Lyons is a reporter for Guardian Australia. And so that means that The median a man is paid is 90% higher than the median that a woman is paid. That works out at about $19,000 a year sort of on average. And so what we know now from this data that's come out is that more than 3,000 employers in the country, so about 60%, have a pay gap that favours men. Then there's a big block of them that have a neutral gender pay gap, so within 5% of zero, 5% in favour of men, 5% in favour of women, which allows for sort of normal fluctuations. And I'm happy to say that The Guardian fits into that category, otherwise this would be a really awkward episode for us to be uh, recording And then there's a small number, so just uh, 412 employers that have a gender pay gap in favour of women.
1: So companies have been reporting this sort of data to the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, otherwise known as WGIA, for years. What is the logic behind releasing individual company data publicly? Is it the case that by naming and shaming these companies, they'll be forced to take greater action?
2: Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what's going on. And the hope is that, yeah, as you said, the sort of name and shame principle will mean that it speeds up the rate of progress among companies in reducing their gender pay gap. So there's been progress, but it's just not been fast enough. And so the the thought is that it actually might inform decisions about what companies you want to work for or engage with or invest in. If you see that they've got a 60% pay gap in favour of men, you might think, oh, well, maybe I'll, maybe I
1: won't. So before we progress, there are misconceptions and sometimes misunderstanding or confusion around what the gender pay gap is, how it's calculated. So can you explain that for us?
2: Yes, this is really important. What we're not talking about here is paying different amounts to men and women for doing exactly the same job, which I'm sure listeners will be very pleased to know has been illegal in Australia for more than 50 years. So Yes, it's not a $0.60 cents on the dollar for both doing exactly the same work situation. What we're talking about here is within each company, if you lined up the salaries of all men from lowest to highest and then you picked the median, so the one in the middle, and then compared that to female salaries, line them up, pick the one in the middle the pay gap is the difference between those two. So what it often reflects is the fact that in certain industries or certain companies, there might be a really high concentration of male managers or um, men who work in the professional parts of the high paid parts of the company. And then you might have a lot of women who work in lower paid parts of the company. So the gender pay gap is reflective of that.
1: Kate, you've been sifting through Excel spreadsheets looking at this data. Tell us about some of the big names on the list.
2: Yes, I have been doing a lot of sorting and filtering of spreadsheets recently. Um, Yeah, so banks stood out to me. They all pretty consistently... Scored badly. Not a single of the 30 banks on the list had a neutral gender pay gap or a pay gap that favoured women. So that was kind of striking. And of the big four banks, they had pay gaps between about 18.8% for NAB and up to nearly 30% for Commonwealth Bank. ANZ said that they had made progress in reducing their gender pay gap, but were keen to do much more. The Commonwealth Bank and Westpac said that. Part of the reason for this was that just the makeup of their workforce—that they have more men in higher-paid jobs and more women who work at sort of bank teller, customer service, call center positions that are lower-paid. Um, all of them said they were working to improve their gender pay gaps as well. Another industry with pretty significant pay gaps uh, were the airlines, um, and so they had pay gaps of sort of. 37% was Qantas, up to 50.2% for Alliance Airlines, with the others falling somewhere in between those. And that was something that was explained by the airlines as saying it's to do with the demographic makeup of their workforce. So they have far more men who are in high-paid roles like pilots or aircraft engineers and women in lower paid roles in the company. Um They also said that they were working hard to get more women into those roles but also that because it took so long to train to become a pilot, for example, that it would take a while for that gender pay gap to narrow.
1: Were there any industries where women were paid more than men?
2: There sadly is not a single industry in the country where women are paid more than men. (laughs) Not even journalism? (laughs) I mean, we do come here for the big bucks, but no. But there were companies where women were paid more than men. And there were 28 companies actually that had um, pay gaps in favour of women of 50% or more. But what's really striking is where there were these huge pay gaps in favour of men, they were often at very large companies um, in high paid sectors. For women, The big pay gaps in favour of women, you know, 17 of those companies were disability support services organisations, very low paid industries. And for a lot of them, that that data is a little bit muddied um, because actually those organisations employ some of their clients who get paid a small amount um, to be client workers. And then that sort of skews the data a little bit. But just the fact that The places we see the big pay gaps are small, charitably focused, you know, social focused, care focused industries, I think tells us something about, yeah, male
1: and female work and how it's valued. Next, what one company is doing to change its pay gap and culture. Hey, Jane Lee here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you probably know, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, which means we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, we don't answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we haven't put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers and listeners who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. So if you're able to support us, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. There's also a link on the full story page. Thanks. So aside from the fact that men often hold those more senior, more secure roles, do we know what else influences the gender pay gap or what the drivers are? Yeah, we actually do know quite a lot about that.
2: Uh, There was some really great research that was done recently by KPMG that analysed some of the drivers of the gender pay gap. And about a third of the reason is the fact that the brunt of caring responsibilities, largely for children but also for elderly parents or other people, falls on women. So there's often a penalty for women um, if they go part-time, which is often called the motherhood penalty. And so that looks like women taking time out of the workforce and therefore being sort of set back in their careers. But it also looks like the fact that uh, women are much, much more likely to work part-time than men because of caring responsibilities. So 30% um, of women work part-time and only 11% of men work part-time, which actually means they hit this promotion cliff or they fall off a promotion cliff because only 7% of manager level roles across Australia are part-time roles. So if they want to have flexible working so they can have those caring responsibilities, there's not much availability in most workforces for them to step into senior and much better paid roles. And then as well as that, about a third of the driver for the gender pay gap was just blatant discrimination. Wow. Yeah, so things like conscious or unconscious bias um, in hiring, we know, I mean, we know these studies, right? Like you you hear them. Um, It's things that like equally qualified women and men, the woman has to send out many more CVs to get an interview than the man does. And then the final one is about a third of the um, pay gap driver comes from occupational or um, industrial segregation. So that's things we're talking about before, that there are certain industries that are very highly paid that are perceived as being male-dominated industries. And often they're set up in ways that are pretty hostile to female workers. You hear some horror stories about some of them. You hear some stories about the culture at others that are really um, concerning, or even just the fact that like if 5% of the workforce is women, that's maybe not an environment where you're going to feel mentored and supported and
1: the facilities are there for you or or, all manner of things. That's a perfect segue because in your research, you spoke to one company that operates a factory down in South Australia that noticed that there was a big disparity in its workforce, but they've been taking some proactive steps to try and remedy that. Can you tell us about this company and and what they found? Yeah, this was really interesting. Um, I spoke
2: to Adam Carpenter, who is the mill manager at one of the mills operated by Kimberly Clark Australia.
4: So we, um, we produce all paper good products and we're probably better known by our brands. So Kleenex Facial um, and Kleenex Bath, as well as Viva Towel. So the hand towel you often pull um, after washing your hands, that's, uh, we make that product as well.
2: So Adam became manager in 2019 and he noticed that they hadn't hired a single woman for all of 2018. And he was pretty concerned about that.
4: The reality was if the trend continued we would end up with you know 100% uh, male dominated workforce. So we really dug into well why is why is this occurring? Why are we only getting you know male applicants? And the bulk of new employees came from referrals. Uh, so employees referring potential candidates for hiring. We recognised that employees referring uh, potential new candidates were just reflecting on the work environment they they were in. So they were in a male-dominated work environment. So they were recommending uh, men as as potentially new hires.
2: And the other thing they noticed was the way their job ads were written.
4: In our advertisements, when we did go to advertise in say local media, we preferred trade-qualified people. We wanted them to have forklift licences and 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 mechanical aptitude were were written out in the ad as attributes that we were looking for um, with new employees. And also that ad was probably being read of, well, I don't have those kind of skills or I'm not necessarily have that mechanical aptitude. So therefore I'm not going to apply.
1: So not only were the men in the company recommending other men to fill vacancies, the job ads were also not deliberately, but were discouraging women from applying. How did they then go about proactively changing that And getting women into the company post-2019?
2: Well, the first thing they did was they stopped having employee referrals as a key way of getting staff in because they realised they were just getting people who were like the people they already had. And if you want to get women in, then that needed to shift. And then they changed the way they approached the job ads. One of the things that Adam realised was that women weren't applying because they assumed that because this is a manufacturing job that they perhaps didn't have the physical strength or maybe they didn't have the technical skills to do it. But actually, the factory is very automated. Women can absolutely work there. And how successful have those efforts been? Very. Uh, I mean, quite a bit of progress has been made in such a short time. He said that when he took over, they had 12 women working in the mill, and now they have sixty. So that's a fivefold increase in just a few years. I mean, they're still at about twenty percent of the workforce are women, which is obviously not where they should be, and nor where they'd like to be. But um, it it has improved,
4: and and we've seen the culture change in a positive sense to a far more, you know, respectful, friendly, um, accepting uh, workplace.
1: Okay, so they've been quite successful in getting more women into the company. How has that translated to closing the gender pay gap? So the
2: company is in the manufacturing industry, which has a not great pay gap across the board, 18%. And Kimberly Clark's is at 11.6. So that's significantly below the industry average, but it's still higher than it's considered acceptable. And the company acknowledges that and says they want to work towards reducing that even further. And Adam himself acknowledges that more needs to be done. But he also, he had just a really interesting approach to what companies can do. It was quite a hopeful chat. And he said that if a company wants to reduce its gender pay gap, the thing to do is to start by taking a really hard look at your company, doing a sort of company level audit about where You're losing female employees if, in fact, they're coming through the door at all, where their pay is stagnating and what changes can be made in order to make sure that women
1: progress through the ranks. So going back to the data... It is quite revealing and in some ways might galvanise companies to take more action, even if it is just to avoid potentially public backlash. But it doesn't cover a variety of diversity factors and how that plays into the pay gap. For example, women who might be of a culturally diverse background and where they sit in a company. Absolutely. It doesn't. And we know that there are levels of
2: disadvantage and levels of discrimination that are are faced by women from different backgrounds. So there have been reports that have found that the ethnic gender pay gap is double the national average gender pay gap. Um, We don't collect data, for instance, on the pay gap for people who are First Nations, different gender identities. Like Remarkably, this data is binary. It's focused on male and female employees. It doesn't account for non-binary or gender-diverse identities. Though that is something that the agency says they are looking to collect and release in the future. Um, And the same when it comes to culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, First Nations people and also people with disabilities. But that's currently being debated in how that data would be collected and recorded in a way that's safe for employees to disclose to their employers and have, yeah, reported to the government.
1: So we know that addressing the gender pay gap is only one piece of advancing gender equality, making sure that women have financial independence, that that improves their access to services, to housing. But are there any targets that we're aiming to achieve to ensure we reach gender pay parity?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is one measure and it's by no means the only measure, but I suppose for a lot of people it's representative or symbolic of where power lies in our society. Um, If, you know, money is power and financial freedom is power and having your work valued, um, your industry valued, represents power and recognition in society, it is kind of a helpful symbol of gender equality if we were to get to gender equity, like men and women being paid basically the same within that 5% range, um, on current trajectories, the research shows that would take 40 to 100 years. So that's just like, that's way too long, right? Like that's not in our working lives. It's not in our daughter's working lives. That's just a bit outrageous. Yeah. Humans will be flying around in cars before (laughs) then. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then on top of that, there's just the issue of plain fairness you know it's a it's a moral question it's a fairness question of do we value women less than we value men and if the answer is a resounding yes consistently I, you've got a problem in society and not just for women but for men as well because gender equality is an issue for all genders right it's absolutely a society wide issue in that way it's not fair to lay the blame entirely at the feet of different companies this has to be government response society response, education response, all of that has to happen. But that's not to let companies off the hook either. And Kate, how has reporting on this been for you? It's been very interesting. This is my third week back after maternity leave. And so these questions feel very live. Mm. They're not
1: abstract questions. They're not
2: abstract questions at all. These are questions of how you balance work and caring responsibilities and stepping out of a career and stepping back into it um having a partner who also values their career and also values being a really present parent but you also have to pay the rent or the mortgage and like all of those questions I mean it might seem sort of theoretical and esoteric to talk about a percentage gap a median you know who even knows what a median is like it but They're about people's lives and about how we want society to look and how we want to be as as human beings with families and work and financial pressures and all the things that exist for us.
1: That was Kate Lyons, a reporter for Guardian Australia. You can find more of Kate's work on theguardian.com and we've linked to her latest piece on The Pay Gap on the Full Story page. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannan. The executive producer of Full Story is Hannah Parks. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow Full Story wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also leave a review. I'm Nord Haidar. Catch you next time.